Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, Ben Gulker and I talk about the roster changes the Pistons have made over the course of the early free agency period, bringing back Hamadou Diallo and Marvin Bagley, and bringing in Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks and Kevin Knox, can't forget about Kevin Knox, points Detroit in the direction we agree with on the podcast, but there are still more questions than answers about what the Pistons rotation will look like in 2022 and beyond. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this offseason. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Happy 4th of July, Ben. Yeah, same to you, Laz. Happy birthday, America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, uh, by the time you are hearing this, it will be 4th of July, so happy 4th of July to you as well. It was a very busy week of Pistons basketball, and so I wanted to go through it slightly chronologically like not not actually literally chronologically but the boring stuff out the way first so then the first things first the pistons uh exercise the team option um or they decline the team option on frank jackson luca garza and carson edwards those players are no longer pistons and the pistons opened up three roster spots uh did did any of that feel impactful what did you think of the the choice to let frank jackson go uh, are you going to miss uh, Luca Garza's rebounding? And what was your favorite moment of Carson Edwards' Pistons career? Well, Carson Edwards, I legitimately, when they cut him, I legitimately had to think. I was like, who, who was that? Who is that guy again? <laughs> like, and that's not, I'm not being sarcastic. Like, I le- legitimately had already forgotten who he was. So sorry, Carson Edwards. Um, I apologize, man. Um, Frank Jackson, I, you know, I was bummed. I was bummed he didn't have a good second Piston as a season, a good second season as a Piston, excuse me. I liked his first season in Detroit, but unfortunately, you know, his second season just did not come to fruition the way I'm sure he hoped that it would. Injuries and poor shooting and, you know, just overall disappointing play, you know. It, it just wasn't enough to, to earn the, the team option. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was a bummer. Luca Garza, obviously the writing was on the wall. Um, you know, he just did not perform up to the level of earning an NBA roster spot, so that was not surprising in the least. And then, of course, after the way the Pistons drafted, coupled with Frank's performance, I mean, that that was pretty clearly coming as well. Um, it, you know, I don't think it was the wrong move. I am a little disappointed that he he didn't carve out the spot I was hoping that he would because I, I did like things he did in his first season as a Piston. He just, you know, he unfortunately didn't put it together in year two and, uh, yeah, had to let him go. Yeah, I I will be curious to see, um, like, where he lands in the NBA next and if he's able to like regain that shooting stroke, because the the thing that really made him intriguing was the ability to shoot like you know, 
high 30s, 40% from three at, at good volume. Obviously, he didn't do that this past season, and that's part of the reason why he's not here anymore. But um, like you know, with like you mentioned, like that level of athleticism and just like being able to get buckets off the bench is useful for you know uh, any NBA team. And I have no doubt that like Frank will Frank will stick around. Um, Luca Garza, I think, already has a, a new summer league team. Um, I I hope I wish Luca the best. I hope he gets to stick around in the league for a long time a very hard worker i know we we joked about him a lot but uh he was uh he was definitely a uh, like a culture setter and uh, somebody that at the absolute least like set the best screens on the team it's like i still think they will need that screening element uh, we're going to talk about some guys that are probably going to help with that obviously and then uh carson edwards yeah i carson edwards was just like an end of the season guy uh, i did not think he had like a long-term future with the pistons um and you know there are a lot of guards on the team now, so kind of kind of had to really make more of a mark than he did uh, in his short time here. Um, so along with that, though, then the Pits, the Pistons picked up the team option on Hamadou Diallo. So Hamadou Diallo will be on the Pistons next season, barring like a trade or something that hasn't occurred yet. Um, what do you think of that that decision? What do you think of keeping Hamadou around? I thought Hami uh, acquitted himself nicely last season, you know, got, was in the doghouse, I guess, a little bit early in the year. Yeah, that's very start of the year there. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I thought he was kind of the un- unsung hero at par- in parts of the season last year. You know, his weakness is obviously his shooting, which, you know, that's the weakness up and down the roster, I think, which is probably where we need to get to at some point in the conversation today. That's the glaring weakness, and Hami does little, does well, frankly, nothing to solve that. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I don't think you let Hami walk. I think there's probably, uh, you know, he's he's still an asset if nothing else. But um, look, I love his explosiveness. I love the way he runs in transition. I love the way he still does get to the rim. And in spite of the fact that he doesn't shoot the ball well from from deep, he still is one of the most efficient scorers on the team, which is actually somewhat remarkable given how poorly he shoots the ball from uh, the perimeter. That speaks to his ability to finish well inside. He He finishes explosively in transition. I think that's, Something I hope, I really hope Casey lets the guys run in transition this season, addition mm-hmm. of Ivy. Um, you know, Hami's probably relegated to somewhere in the second unit. We know that Killian loves to run. We expect him to lead the second unit, I think, at least at this point in time. So, no, I think that makes sense. He was the strongest of those guys who had an option. And uh, look, one year left on the deal. It's a really small contract. I don't, I don't see any issues with picking that up. And I think personally... Hami's Hami's play earned that relatively small contract and warranted picking up that option. Yeah, as it's like I wasn't surprised because as you said, like Hamadou turned himself into a relatively valuable piece of the rotation. Um, obviously, he ended the year with the hand injury, thumb injury. I remember. I think he like messed up a finger trying to dunk or something. But um, so it's like we didn't get to see him finish out the year, obviously, but. Um, ingrained himself into into the rotation. I will be curious to see what happens with him and his rotation minutes next season. I feel like every year we go into the season being like, the Pistons need more shooting, so it's going to be tough to play Hamadou Diallo because he can't shoot. And then Hami like just like rams his way into the rotation and and makes things happen, which is like what partially like what he does on the court. So that really shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. I'm glad Hamadou is still a Piston. Uh, I'll be really curious to see what his role is uh, moving forward. And, and like you mentioned, he's on an expiring contract. Um, I'll be curious to see if there's uh, 
any interest in him around the league for for teams that are able to surround him with a little bit more shooting than the Pistons are able to. All right, Ben. Uh, next thing that happened uh, basically was the Pistons traded for uh, they traded with the Knicks for Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, their own the Pistons' own 2023 second round pick, which we expect to be like a semi valuable, not insignificant uh, second round pick. And Miami's 2024 second round pick, which I believe is like a fake second, like it's like top 55 protected. And if you don't get it, it like turns into dust. So it's like, it's kind of not real, but you know, it is what it is. And $6 million in cash. I still have not been able to figure out what the Pistons sent to the Knicks in order to obtain all of these things. Um, obviously you can just send guys in a sour cap space, but it was my understanding that you do have to like send something back, like a future second round pick or something. Haven't been able to figure that out yet. Maybe they just like added this on to the uh, Kemba Walker draft day trade. Who is to say, but Ben, that's two rotation players and a not insignificant second round pick for cap space. Essentially. What what did you think of the move? Yeah. Like you, Liz, it's like, I need a giant wall. Like, (laughs) From what's that movie, the the Russell Crowe movie from back? A in Beautiful the Mind, there the, is, the right. Glass Pane. I need one of those to figure yeah. out. Figure did you, out did all, you ever all see, these pieces? Did you ever are. see The Accountant? Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that that's kind of what we need at this point. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is kind of what I was hoping they would do. I was kind of hoping it would be like more first round pick ish, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but I think. Uh, Sean Court pointed out on Twitter that they kind of did that with the, the Kemba pick um, anyway, or the Kemba trade. But uh, yeah, I mean, so I've liked Alec Burke actually for a long time. He's been a guy I've wanted the Pistons to target, like an, kind of like a sneaky underpaid role player who just kind of does all sorts of winning stuff and shoots well. So I've mm-hmm. liked him for basically as long as he's been in the league. So he's the one guy they've added that, that does the shooty shooty stuff that, uh, <laughs> We so badly need. Um, Nerland's Noel is a little puzzling. I guess maybe you're sort of thinking, okay, Duran, you need to go up against Nerland's every day in practice because this is the kind of guy we want you to become. Maybe, mm-hmm. like, maybe that's the thought process, right? I think it probably also points to the fact that you don't see Duran as ready to go on day one, right? He's still so young and raw. So you've got this this backup big as a placeholder until until Jalen's ready to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I think this is fine. Um, when you look at what other stuff has happened in free agency, I, you know, I don't think I would have been jumping up and down about any of those other contracts that have been getting signed elsewhere. So this is basically, instead of going and getting guys in free agency, you've got two reasonably productive free agents who will help you in the course of the next season mm-hmm. and are not long-term commitments and could possibly be flipped quickly should you should you need to. So I think I'm okay with this. I'm not jumping up and down about it, but I, I also think I'm okay with it because worst case scenario, you know, you head into next summer um, without any long-term commitments, right? You didn't, you didn't handicap yourself with anything. Right. Silly. So, yeah, I think I'm okay with it. I don't, I'm not in love with it, but I think I'm okay with it. Yeah, like like you, when this first happened, I imagined that there would be a first round pick involved, simply because, um, normally to absorb salary, like you you get a first round pick, 
but uh as and and because new york you know got like i think they got two or three draft picks on draft night like extra future draft picks and i figured like one of those would be coming back but as people pointed out to me burks is like burks is useful enough that it's not just a straight salary dump and that's probably why you couldn't extract a first rounder and it's like, would you rather have Alec Burks or would you rather have like the 25th pick in like the 2025 draft? And it's like, I, it, you know, I, I understand like, you know, making that uh, making that calculation and deciding you want something with a little bit more immediate impact. Um, like you mentioned, Burke is a like uh, he's probably immediately becomes the best shooter on the roster shot over 40 percent from three over the last two seasons. Um He's a really interesting player. He's all, at first he was like kind of this bench like bucket getter guy in Utah, and then he kind of like bounces around a little bit. He ends up in New York, and he's like playing point guard, and he's uh, not really a point guard, but he's sacrificing and he's playing well. And he's, he killed the the Pistons twice uh, over the past season. Um, one of those games was the uh, was the like COVID Cassius Stanley Hamadou Diallo Derek Walton Jr. Pistons. So I was like, okay, maybe that doesn't count as much. But but yeah, he's he's carved out a nice little effective career for himself, and I think he is going to be a valuable piece of the rotation for this Pistons team. Um, do you think Alec Burks is like a starter? Do you think he's the first guy off the bench? What do, what do you imagine his role being for this team moving forward? Oh my gosh, Laz, it is really hard to project what the first and second units are going to be right now isn't mm-hmm. it i mean i am really struggling um yeah part of it is because i don't i just don't know who they see as the backup for um you know i, I mentioned this last week I, i'm just not sure who their power forwards are i mean i think walking into summer league with the roster it, as it is right now i think you you almost have to say that bagley is the starting four don't you i mean you just paid him 13 plus million a season. That's, that's starter money, I think for the Pistons. Yeah, that's fair. And you, who else do you have? Right. So, I mean, maybe you slide Bay over there and you bring Burks to the three, or maybe you have Cade defend some threes. I'm not sure. So maybe you could roll with Cade, Ivy, Burks, Bay, Stu, Mm -hmm. or, Maybe Burks is your first guy off the bench and you slide, um, you know, you slide Bay to the four and Bagley comes out. It's really hard for me to say at this point. It just, it just feels a little bit premature, but I, I just think you have this. I still think we have an awkward problem with too many fives and not enough fours. And then we have the problem of just not enough shooting in the backcourt and perimeter overall. So yeah. that no matter how you shuffle the pieces, you end up with this weird problem of you don't have enough shooting guards and you have young guards who you want to get big minutes, right? So right. it's just not an easy problem to solve right now. No matter no matter which rotations you choose, you have problems. So it's a, it's kind of a pick your poison, right? Like which problems do you want to have right now with the roster as it is anyway? Yeah, I... I think Burks' skill set on the roster is so valuable that you kind of have to start him. But like you, I am unsure of like what that means for the like front court rotation. It's like, can you play Alec Burks as a three? Like, maybe. It's like, if you play Alec Burks as a two, does that make 
Cade the nominal small forward. It's like, I guess you could get away with that. But the whole point of having Cade as a point guard is to be able to, you know, have a bunch of size on the floor. And if you're, I don't know, you're starting like Corey Joseph again or something. And it's like Corey Joseph, Cade, Alec Burks is like, well, that's not as big as I'd like it to be either. Um, yeah, I, I, he's too useful to not start, but I don't know like what that means for the rest of the rotation. It's like, do they feel the pressure to start Jaden Ivey right away? Right. Like, like, uh, yeah, I, Trying to figure out this rotation is definitely going to be something we're going to have a lot more conversations about uh, before before the season starts. Um, well, and I think yeah. too, like where is Ivy at? Like, yeah, obviously I mean, we're going to see pretty soon. Yeah, so. we're going to see next week. It's just, it's, we're just going to see how he quits himself in summer league because I I would expect he's going to look pretty good mm-hmm. as a dominant athlete in summer league. But like, where his is shooting? That's going to be a big part of it for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, oh, with the addition of Nerlens Noel, you you pointed out that I think this that is more of an admission that Jalen Duran is not going to be ready to go right away, which is completely fine and totally expected for a 19 year old kid who's like supposed to be in high school or supposed to be like a freshman in college right now who's playing at the NBA level. Like that is fine. He can start in the G League. He'll he's like you you you've watched the G League, Ben. You know that a a athletic dominant force like Duran will feast in the G league. And so I think that'll be good for him to get those reps immediately as well. Um, you, you pointed out Nerlens Noel as kind of like a vet mentor too, is like a, a guy you can point to in practice and say like, Hey, like this is, this is what you're supposed to play. Like um, I did, I did like that acquisition, but like you pointed out now the Pistons big man rotation is Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran, Nerlens Noel, Kelly Olenek and Marvin Bagley. All those dudes are probably ideally centers. Um, you talked about the, the positionality of uh, Marvin Bagley Actually, yeah, let's let's just transition that into the Marvin Bagley re-signing, right? Marvin Bagley re-signed with the Pistons for three years and $37.5 million. That's a little high for me. We can talk about that. Uh, three years, no team options, no player options on the deal. Ben, what did you think of the Bagley signing for the Pistons? Yeah, it seems like a bit of an overpay. I mean, it's not franchise crippling by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. Yeah. I think I was envisioning like mid-level exceptions, so we're what, just – Paying a slight premium. Yeah, the middle um, level is like what eleven. Yeah, it's right around so there. Like, yeah, I think it depends on where the salary cap lands, weren't they? If I recall correctly, there was the the cap was projected to be a little bit higher than anticipated, so maybe the MLE bumps up slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not it's not dramatic. Um, the, you know, the other thing is too, we we only saw Bagley for what like eighteen games where he and Cade were playing together. I think that number is correct, right around mm-hmm. there. So we have a super small sample to see these two guys playing together. Um, you know, what What I really need to know about Bagley is does he have anything other than this 60 plus percent that he shoots from within like, you know, inside of five feet or three feet or whatever it is. Right. Because in, you know, as as the lob threat, he was fantastic. He unlocked things from Killian and Cade that we had been wanting to see really since since Killian's first minutes as a rookie. Um, but look, <laughs> allegedly he has this three point shot. Um, we certainly didn't see it in Detroit. His three-point shooting was... We did not. He was willing. <laughs> he, just, <laughs> he just wasn't knocking it down. But look, maybe in practice drills, he's shooting 70 and 80%, right? So maybe we just saw the slump like we saw from Sadiq over the first 30 games or something. So, you know, maybe those, maybe the coaching staff has access to that stuff we don't see. That's that's the optimistic spin I'm going to try to put on that, that... The critical spin I would put on is I have serious questions about his defense, which I don't know. I've been saying for 
like a year, year and a half now, let's go get some offense, which I still want. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's a little bit of an old period, but I, I think it's okay. It's only three years. It's not, you know, it's not franchise crippling. It's, it's not that at all. It's just slightly over the MLE. Um, but I really, really hope that Marvin Bagley's got a little bit more than what we saw over the last, uh, the last bit of the season, because he's going to need to be a little bit more if he's going to be a, a full-time starter. Um, I talked about this last week. I, I think the perimeter defense is going to be a struggle mm-hmm. at least next season. And it would be nice to have a couple bigs back there who can, who can carry a little bit of the extra weight. And I, I don't think Bagley is the guy, or at least he didn't show us that he was a season ago. So that those, that's my, my upside and my downside on the Bagley signing. Yeah. So I was initially not like super critical, but the the number surprised me, but I was more fine with the number. Three years surprised me. I thought that they might want to – I thought it would be like two and a team option, like similar to what they did with Hamadou Diallo, right, where you have the you have the option of getting out from underneath him if he's not able to contribute. Um, but they did in like like Hamadou, the Pistons, you know, targeted him in a trade for the longest time. There was a, a lot of rumored interest even prior to his acquisition. And so you have to think that this is something that he, that he is a player that Troy Weaver has identified as something that somebody that they can get more out of. I'm trying to say clearly so I don't like mumble. Um, so yeah, but Bagley was really efficient inside the arc, really efficient inside the paint. Um, I believe, I forget if it was Jack Kelly or Brady Fredrickson over at Detroit Bad Boys did... Uh, broke out the numbers and showed the difference in Cade's efficiency and production uh, before and after the Bagley trade. It's like part of that you can attribute to coincidence, right? Like Cade just getting more comfortable in general playing during his rookie year. But the the chemistry that they displayed uh, like led you to believe that like, yes, like this is something that Cade, this is a guy Cade absolutely um, has chemistry with and took advantage of having on the, on the offensive end. The question is like, could you get, could you find what Marvin Bagley offers from somebody who can also play defense? Um, and could you do it for cheaper? And the answer is like, kind of yes, probably. But uh, if they think they can turn Bagley into like a somewhat useful defender, or like you mentioned, they think Bagley has a little bit more uh, availability or a little more potential as uh, a floor spacer than he showed in his like 18 games in Detroit, then like, I, I get it. And like on, on the positive side, like I was looking was, like after the Bagley contract said some not so nice things. It was like, I kind of, whatever I went back and like watched some of Marvin Bagley's performances during the season. It's like, yeah, actually like he's, he was really efficient inside the arc. It was very valuable to have somebody who just like, could score 17 points on like seemingly like eight shots every single night. And so it's like, uh, it's, 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 it's not franchise crippling. Right. I do wonder if they'll be able to like, if if Marvin Bagley kind of doesn't progress any kind of just remains who he's been so far throughout his NBA career. I do wonder if uh, a, like by the time you're really trying to make a playoff push and compete in the playoffs, uh, he can't be part of a playoff rotation because of the defensive struggles. And B, like if that's the case, can you trade him if he's making you know twelve point five million dollars? Um, I think B is like doable. Um, 
in like year three is like as an expiring contract um he won't be valueless but i think it'll be it'll be a little bit more difficult than you'd like to be able to trade him on that final year of the deal the the last thing i'll say about this is some of the other contracts we saw handed out to big men over the course of this free agency period nick claxton a guy both of us liked got two years 20 million dollars isaiah hartenstein who's an nba twitter darling got two years and 18 million chris boucher uh three years 35 million Bobby Portis, who was gaining a lot of traction among Pistons fans as a like perfect fit for the Pistons, which I thought was a little weird because there was no way Bobby Portis was leaving a championship situation in Milwaukee. He got four years, forty nine million. Mo Bamba got two years and twenty one million, and Javel McGee got three years and twenty million. But we don't really Javel is just like a, an edge case. Like that was definitely an overpay. It's like when you look at those other contracts, the only other one that kind of comes close to Bar to Bagley's average annual value is the is the Boucher deal and so I think we can admit that this is like yeah this is probably a slight slight overpay but we can also say it's like this is not franchise crippling absolutely um I guess the other thing has been you you said you were imagining Bagley as kind of the starting four or Sadiq Bey as the as the starting four um what other big man on the roster do you think is Bagley's best front court partner because like that, that's going to be the key thing, right? Like if if we say to ourselves, like, okay, Bagley is going to play rotation minutes because they gave him this contract. Like, how do we get the most out of him in the front court? Who do you put him next to, right? Well, okay, so I guess it depends on what the goals of the season are, right? Um, so if I have to read the tea leaves right now, this is a long answer to what should be a short answer question. No, go for it, go for it, let's do it. So like, if I have to read the tea leaves right now, I'm going to say that Troy Weaver is not primarily concerned about winning in the upcoming season. That's not his main focus. He's not going all in on wins next year, which I think is the right call. I I agree with that. I It's clear to me they're not trying to tank. They're not trying to lose games, right? Mm-hmm. But they're not prioritizing wins in the immediate short term. If they were, I think the question comes down to, who is the better anchor of your team defense between Nerlens Noel and Isaiah Stewart? Um, or so do you prioritize team defense or who is the better uh, offensive complement between Olenek and Stewart? And I mean, it's, I don't like saying this, but I think in both cases you, you opt for the veteran. So I think Nerlens is probably probably a better defensive anchor because of his height and shot blocking ability. Um, Stewart might, might be better laterally. He might be better defending the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Nerlens probably does more just in terms of a, a vertical rim protecting sort of anchor traditional big man. And then I think there's probably no question that Kelly Olenek is a better floor stretch right like in any starting lineup that you envision there's going to be a lack of shooting and kelly is really the only big man who gives you any of that i think so if if you're if you're trying to maximize your wins next year i think you almost inevitably move Stu to the bench unless Stu has just developed a three-point shot over the course of the offseason that we haven't seen yet right um there was there was that video of him working out true true yeah there's there's always videos that's, that's true. <laughs> this is true. There's always a Twitter highlight video. Um, 
However, if your if your priority is long term development of your young guys, and if you know you're still committed on some level to Isaiah Stewart, then I I think you you keep Stu in the lineup, and you sort of take your lumps um, over the course of the next season. Even if you lose some games that maybe you could win by subbing in one of those vets into the starting lineup. Um, so I guess for me, it's you know it's who fit who fits best next to Bagley is is kind of the right question, but it's it's a question after you answer what's your philosophy going into the season? Like, what are you trying to prioritize? So that I would back it up one step and ask that question first. That's fair. That's fair. So talking about this makes me think of more questions. There are a lot of questions that I have about the Pistons right now. I don't know if you can tell. Um, <laughs> I do too, man. <laughs> we we talked a little bit about the crowded front court. We talk, we're talking about big man pairings. We're talking about having a glut of centers, quote unquote, like centers on the roster. Um, but when you when you list out the guys in the front court, right? It's Nerlens Noel, it's Jalen Duran, it's Isaiah Stewart, it's Kelly Olynyk, and Marvin Bagley. Like one of those names is not like the others, right? Mm-hmm. Kelly Olynyk is really the only floor spacing big man threat that they have. Um, he also underperformed last year from a from a shooting perspective obviously battled injuries um, throughout the entire season, you know, the, the initial like sprained MCL, then he had COVID. Um, and, and so that, you know, I don't want to hold any of those against him, but he like, he definitely wasn't able to be as effective as I'm sure he would have liked to be. Um, do you think Kelly Olenek is like going to be on this roster on opening day? Cause it, it doesn't really seem like, uh, like we, we talk about the, the shooting needs for this team. This team does need like floor spacing, but um, is it? It's hard to allocate, you know, forty million dollars worth of center uh, on the roster, even for a rebuilding team like the Detroit Pistons. So, you know, what what do you think ends up happening with Kelly Olynyk? It's a great question, Laz. I'm curious what you think about it too. The hard part about answering that question is, I, you know, if I were a GM for anyone other than the Pistons, the question I would have is, where is Kelly Olynyk's lateral movement because mm-hmm. of the injuries he dealt with a season ago. Mm-hmm. I was concerned about his ability to move, <laughs> frankly, what we saw at the end of last season. Um, so on opening day, that that's the part of your question that gives me pause. If Kelly is healthy and he can move and he can, he, you know, he, if he can, presumably his shot is going to rebound just with some reps and getting his legs back. Like I'm not, not worried that that's going to come back that I have every confidence will. But he's got to be able to move to play some amount of rotation level defense for at, at minimum, like somebody's bench unit, right? Right. If he can do that, then I don't, I, I can't, I can't imagine he will be with the Pistons long term. You've got to imagine he gets traded somewhere for something. Um, but the opening day part is what's hard for me to judge because. I would be super skeptical about trading for Kelly Olenek for anything of significance until I can see him move around a little bit because I, like, I just, he did not look good to me to close the season. He just, he looked slow. He looked like he, he was really struggling to move laterally. And uh, especially if he's playing the five um, and he's, he's out there in some sort of switching pick and roll situation, he's got to be able to move better than he did 
last season. He's just not worth much. I don't think he's going to be really hard to move. So he's got to get on the floor and prove that I think before, before he's going to be tradable. Yeah. It's like if, if Kelly Olenek was like a wing version of Kelly Olenek, like I think he would have an immediate roster spot like on this team, just because the, the potential shooting value is so important and something that we lack. Um, across the rest of the roster that like you you would you would love to have that type of player but like because he's a front court player he's in competition with you know the four other guys we have in the roster in the front court and you know you you mentioned the 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 regression on defense that i think you can accurately attribute to the injuries it's like what does that look like we don't really know the I think you can also tie that to the regression in shooting. What does that look like? We don't know. So I I don't think like if you traded Kelly Olynyk right now, I don't think you would get the maximum value that you could get for him just because you know I'm sure other teams have those questions as well. And so maybe you're right. Maybe I shouldn't have said opening day. Maybe I should have said the trade deadline. But by the time you give Kelly, you know, some time to play and recoup some of his value or. Uh, by the time you give him some rotation minutes and you're able to see what he can contribute possibly to this team. Because, you know, before the before the big knee injury, like he was a very valuable piece of this rotation. Um, and he just he never reached that point again. And so hopefully he, he can reach that at the, at the start of the season and we can see um, some more lineup versatility. But yeah, it, it, and it's nice to have a big who can shoot on the roster. It's like if, you, if we didn't have Kelly Olenek, we would be trying to find a guy like Kelly Olenek just to you know, just to open up the floor for some of these guards who can't shoot, uh, just to you know, have a, a different look to be able to throw at teams uh, offensively. But yeah, it'll be. I'm I'm watching that with interest because I do think I do think a a healthy version of Kelly Olynyk, if he can prove he's healthy, like would garner interest from other teams around the league. But he's not able to show that right now, and it, that that guy would also be pretty useful in the Pistons. So I guess we're we'll see where that ends up going. But that's. That's something I was thinking about as we're as we're watching them draft Jalen Dern and bring back Marvin Bagley for, for like you know I think roughly the same amount of money that Kelly Olynyk is making. More and or less. like even if he could play the four, right? Like if right. he could play the four, he solves a lot of problems. And I think they'll try, right? They'll try yeah. and put him in lineups with him and Noel or him and Stewart, or uh, and, and make that work. But yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see. All right, Ben, the Pistons did make. Another free agent signing. They signed Kevin Knox for two years and six million dollars. Uh, Kevin Knox was the was a top ten draft pick once upon a time. Uh, had a productive but not efficient rookie season for the New York Knicks, and has kind of just been on steady on a steady decline since. Uh, what did you think of the Kevin Knox signing? Wow. <laughs> 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 that that I didn't see that one coming. Um I thought I really thought we were going to be done with the reclamation projects. So uh this this was truly a surprise to me. Um but hey, uh it is a uh it is a reclamation project. So there's some athleticism there, right, Laz? I mean, I know I've seen you have been wanting him for well, I shouldn't say you have been wanting him. You wanted him once upon a time. Yeah. You are familiar with with the talent and the athleticism. How at this point in his career does he turn this into made buckets, I guess is the question. And I don't, I don't see the answer. I know Bryce is working on um, 
a long-term breakdown of watching years and years worth of film. You've watched a <laughs> lot of film as well. So I don't know. You're the better guy to ask this question. I, I don't know, man. I, this one's a puzzler to me. Once upon a time, he looked like he could be a six eight six nine guy who could make perimeter shots. And it's like that. We've talked about the Pistons' lack of shooting. Um, it's like if he is another guy who can play like backup, backup small forward and make open shots when the ball is passed to him. It's like I think he can play on this team. Unfortunately, like the the confidence has gone up and down. The playing time has gone up and down. He had a really nice stretch to start the year in like 2020. Um, and then there's a whole thing with like David Fisdale, who's about to get fired, yanked him from the rotation to, you know, play more veterans to try and win more games to not get fired, ended up getting fired anyway. New guy didn't, uh, you know, put Knox back in the lineup. Um, and he's just kind of become an afterthought. Uh, it's like as Troy Weaver reclamation projects go, I'm going to put this like, above Jaleel Okafor, but, like, below Josh Jackson, right? Uh, I think, like, Josh Josh is, like, a legitimate rotation player in the NBA, like a, you know, a a, probably a below average one, but, like, a legitimate one. I don't, I didn't feel bad, like, handing Josh Jackson 15 minutes a a game most nights. Um, And Jaleel Okafor was mostly unplayable. Uh, I think Kevin Knox has a shot to be more than mostly unplayable. But uh, it all the core of his value is in that three point shot. Can he be a guy who uh, you know makes open shots and doesn't do much else? Can he be like uh, a cheaper bench version of Tony Snell? Right? And it's like if he can, it's like that's great. You've, you've Troy Weaver, you've done it again, right? You've, you've found someone off the scrap heap and. Uh, just went through the basketball references, top 10 draft picks over the last 10 years and just like found the guys that didn't work and brought them in and tried to make it work. Um, but yeah, if, and if Knox doesn't make shots, the contract is so low. I don't feel bad about uh, cutting him. I was hoping again, as the theme of the podcast on, uh, on signings, it's hoping to see like a team option on the second year, just so, you know, cutting him next year, if it, if it doesn't work, wouldn't end up being as painful. Um, but yeah, yeah, not much to speak of defensively either. He's a very uh, not a not a he's a tall player, but he's kind of skinny. He's not he's kind of averse to contact, um, and so yeah, the bulk of his value is just going to be in the shooting. And it's like we we've talked about it. The Pistons need shooting, so it's like you can't be mad that they try to pick up another shooter. I just wish it was somebody who was a more of a sure thing as as a shooter than, mm-hmm. than Kevin Knox has been over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to see like. Like honestly, like he's he's like a I think he's been in the league like four years at this point. He's twenty three. Is like honestly, like if he wasn't in Detroit, he's like just playing in summer league, just like stick around in the NBA. I'd be like curious to see what he would look like in in summer league against younger guys with more NBA experience under his belt. But yeah, I'd, I don't have great expectations for Kevin Knox this season. Um, but it's like I. I understood. I understand the thought process behind the signing, even if I don't. I mean, even if I think there's a good chance it doesn't like yeah. work, quote unquote. So, I you know I was super involved in watching the uh, NBA Finals this year, and one of my favorite players slash stories in the NBA Finals was Gary Payton, uh, the second. Mm-hmm. To me, he is like 
an S tier role player. Like I just love what he does for the Warriors and I love his story. Like the way he bounced around in and out of the league, never stuck anywhere, but he found the right situation. And personally, what it seems like to me is he found the right coach. And this is one of the things I love about Steve Kerr. I don't love everything about him as a coach, but one of the things I absolutely love about Steve Kerr is the way he believes in his players and he gets his players to believe in themselves. And I feel like um, one of the things that really does matter is confidence and, and knowing what you're good at as a player, having your teammates and your coaches also understand that about you and then everyone believing that about you, including yourself. So um, I think I think Casey gets that too. I, I think Casey really does get that. So if that's the kind of thing that Detroit can foster in a, in a player like Kevin Knox, even if it is an outside chance that I'm for it, because those kind of stories do happen. And he, even if they're rare, like, I mean, I, th- I think I'm okay with it, even if it's a one in 15 shot, right? Like, cause if right. you have the chance to make it happen and one out of 10 or one out of 15 times, it results in a Gary Payton, like the one out of 15 is, is worth the 14 that, that don't make it right. And, maybe we're still 13 away from getting to a game. <laughs> but like, I don't know the, the one time you get the guy like Gary Payton to me, like that, that's a pretty huge payoff to me. No, absolutely. And I, I totally agree with you that I think one thing that Dwayne Casey absolutely does is foster a sense of uh, confidence in his players um, and help that, that helps them perform uh, at their best or, or better than, they would perhaps for for a coach who did not do that. So that's a great point, Ben. Well, and I think Sadiq Bay is evidence of that, right? Like, yep. A lot of guys could have thrown in the towel after the way last season shooting started, but the entire organization, his friend, his 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 friends and teammates, his coaches, they never stopped believing in him. They never stopped praising him publicly. And uh, look, his season turned around. So I, I think that exists within the culture of the franchise right now. Absolutely. All right, Ben. Uh, were there any other like free agency moves that happened across the NBA that that really hit your eye? Like anything that really like stood out to you? Is like, oh, like that. That's really intriguing. <laughs> well, <laughs> there is the drama. This is quite a dramatic NBA. It, it it's not technically free agency, right? But there is all of the drama, and uh, I'm not going to delve too deeply into it. But I w- I do want to say one thing. I I did get into this into the comments at Detroit Bad Boys, and I got into it a little bit on Twitter. And uh, it's it's just a generic thing. I noted what I will guess. I guess I'll describe it as some, for lack of a better term, sympathy for owners who. I, I guess there are some fans who are feeling like owners are getting taken hostage by players for requesting trades and. Mm-hmm. I don't want to use this as a bully pulpit to tell people that they're wrong for feeling that way. So please, you know, if you're listening and you have that opinion, don't, don't take it that way. But you know, I, I would just like to point out that the owners contribute nothing but their wealth and the players contribute literally everything. The only reason that we have a league, the only reason that the NBA exists is because the players are what they are, right? The the talent and the labor of the players is why we have an NBA. And for the overwhelming majority of the league's history, 
the ownership and the league has pretty much exploited uh, the labor of the players. This is not just true of the NBA. It's true of many professional organizations. It is particularly true of things like the NCAA. And we don't need to go too into depth into that. We're not an NCAA yep. podcast, yep. of course. But that to me is something that I think has, has come to the fore in particular over the last handful of years because we've seen it more and more, right? We've seen superstar players request trades. And I think it's it's gotten spun into this narrative that I think is very beneficial to the owners and cast them in this very sympathetic light. And I frankly just think it's a bunch of BS. Um, you know, for the most part, the owners, like I said, contribute nothing but their wealth. Most of the time when they build these new arenas, they get supplemented by public money to do so. So not only are they not contributing much at all, they often get public money to help supplement their mm-hmm. their contributions. So, you know, if you're starting to feel sympathetic towards owners, I would just encourage you to, uh, to think a little more deeply about what owners do and do not contribute. Think about the history of how these professional sports leagues have come into existence and the amount of their history that they've exploited their labor. Think about the the racial and socioeconomic history of how the exploitation has occurred. Think about how the labor market is skewed, particularly against young men who entered the league and continue to enter the league, how it is skewed against them. How, for example, if you enter the NBA draft, you have absolutely no choice in where you go to work. You don't even get to choose your employer. Um, and I've, I said it more blunt terms on Twitter, and I won't repeat them here, but it, it's it's still very exploitative and very anti-labor friendly. And I think, you know, most of us imagine, Laz, tomorrow you get a phone call from HR and without any say in the matter, you're, you're assigned to go work in Los Angeles and you've got to relocate yourself and your family within 24 hours. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's what NBA players have to wake up to. And yeah, they sign the contracts. Yeah. They make late, they make lots of money, but it doesn't make it any easier. So that's what I'll say. It's not even so much about the basketball. It's more a comment on the situation. Don't get don't get sucked into these narratives that make owners into the good guys. I guess what I'll say: try to be sympathetic to these players, in spite of the fact that they're millionaires, etc. Um, a lot of these narratives are, are are designed so that the owners can gouge more money out of the next CBA. That's a long way of what I'm getting to. No, that's that's totally fair. I will say, in the specific case of the like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving saga. I don't find myself sympathetic to the Brooklyn Nets owner, but as a as someone who's like contributing a lot of his wealth and trying to build a if we're if we're talking in terms of like labor management, if you're trying to build a cohesive, affectional, functional workplace, it's like I completely understand why you would not want an element like Kyrie Irving in that workplace. I understand how that could have knock-on effects for your other employees uh and i understand why you would not want to acquiesce to uh, such a uh i understand like why you wouldn't want to acquiesce to such an employee um 
even if that meant like you you know you lost some stars some star talent um i don't think it's like i have no sympathy for the man dude's a billionaire like if if and like i i definitely think like you have a better chance of winning a championship with kevin durant and kyrie irving than without kevin durant kyrie irving um but at the same time i totally understand if he's just like you know after the season we just had it's like you it's like i you can't work here anymore it's like i get that i get that it's like it's not saying you can't work anywhere like we will accommodate you it's like you you opted into your contract we will absolutely like try and honor that but it's like we like we don't want you at this workplace anymore i totally get that yeah totally get that yeah it's it's the the valid the the genuine exceptions to any rule certainly exist right yeah yeah but like in but like in the ben simmons case it's like no like we like that that's much different right that is uh that's a much that's a much more uh understandable uh labor battle than than what Kyrie Irving was going through so yeah um, I will be really curious to see where Kevin Durant ends up obviously that will shift a lot of tectonic plates around the league um, Durant's under contract for four more years so it's like even even if he doesn't uh, if he does get traded like anywhere that place instantly becomes a championship contender for a long long time I was noting this on Twitter like the the after looking at some of the stuff that was been happening in the western conference the western conference just looks so so tough right now and i am glad the plan for detroit is to a be in the eastern conference (laughs) (laughs) and be like not try and be competing for high level playoff seating for like another couple of years right like the things seem really volatile right now uh at the and there seems like there are a lot of elite teams and it does feel like the window will be uh more open when some of these guys are a little bit older some of these guys are a little bit more vulnerable and the pistons are able to raise the the talent base of their team absolutely yeah well it's like you know you still gotta wait for Giannis to get old right like at a minimum (laughs) so you can be patient uh Giannis is gonna be like 35 and still just like gliding everywhere yelling <laughs> on people it's gonna and destroy us at uh, lca it's gonna be amazing I, i'm gonna not enjoy all of that <laughs> ben uh thanks for coming on thanks for uh an enjoying uh, or an enjoyable conversation um can't wait to talk next week about summer league to actually see some of these detroit pistons play that'll be a lot of fun let the people know where they can find you where they can find your thoughts on the state of the detroit pistons yeah, you can find me getting cranky old man Twitter feeds at the owners, I guess, at BR Culker <laughs> on Twitter. Um, I try to jump in the comments, every podcast feed for sure. Um, DetroitBadBoys.com. Appreciate engaging with you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. You can also uh, see me jumping in the comments on Detroit Bad Boys when applicable. There were a there were a there's a lot of Marvin Bagley stands that just showed up uh, in the uh, Marvin Bagley uh, return piece. That was interesting. Those people have been quiet the entire time. I, I wonder <laughs> where they've been. Uh, but yeah, it's it's good to have the engagement that we have on the podcast. It's great to have the engagement we have on the site. Uh, we we are really building like a, a very nice community of like Pistons fans, and that's something I really value and enjoy. Um, so thank you for listening, and thank you for being a part of our community. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast.
Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you all next week. See you.